Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. We're here. It's Action Movie Anatomy on a brand new day. That's right. It's Thursday. It's 2 p.m. And we're going to break down one of the greatest films of our lifetime. This is the iconic post-apocalyptic film, Children of Men. We're so excited. We'll see you guys in just one quick second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! Aha! Aha! Ninety-nine puff full panties. Ninety-five. The Guess who's Start back? <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the studio. That rhymed. It's action movie anatomy. I feel like we haven't been here in forever. <laughs> it does feel that way. Things have been things have been tumultuous. Things have been chaotic. Things have been exciting. Things have been victorious. Victorious. <laughs> Victory. Yes. Uh, uh, it's a, yeah, it's an exciting Thursday, guys. There's a lot to talk about today on the show, so just to get the quick intros out of the way, this is Action Movie Anatomy. It's a show where we talk about action movies here on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies, all things movie-related and pop culture by the bucketful. I'm merely your host, Ben Bateman, joined by my co-host, co-creator, co-producer, and the champion! Not all the way yet, Not yet. but, you know, two, two-time, two-time winner. Two-time, two-time double knockout of two two-time champions. It's Andrew Guy. I'm very happy to be yeah. here. I'm excited to be back, and uh, I cannot wait to destroy and embarrass that geriatric F John Rope. <laughs> it's not even says. Oh, you said his name. Okay. I'm go. going to. I'm <laughs> going to, because he has, uh, he's been on the show before, so you guys all know who he is. Yeah, he's been on two different times. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. uh, we are no longer friends. We are foe mm. now. Um mm. But yeah, we're back. We're moved. We moved to Thursday. Things have been crazy, uh, but it's been wonderful. Yeah, a little state of the union for you guys here. Um, the first one is that we had to change to Thursdays based on scheduling. Um, I had missed probably three in the last 11 weeks based on uh, Wednesdays are a tough day for me. You booked a new gig that is going to have you permanently out of here Wednesdays. Yes. So for at least the next several months, which we don't know how much longer it'll be, we are going to just be on Thursdays at 2 p.m. That's the new, it works, we can make it happen, 2 p.m. It's a little easier. I'm sure there'll still be missed days here and there, but we're going to do our best to be here as, as consistently as possible, and uh, as it stands now, it works. Yeah, and for all the people out there that have been watching us at a certain time for, I mean, it feels like it's been over a year now uh, that we We've been on Wednesdays. Uh, oh, I think we've been on Wednesdays at two for like two years. Oh, like maybe. two years, yeah. It's been a very long time. Um, thank you for, for making the adjustment. We yeah. apologize for switching it up. We hope that you guys find the new day live. We always love having you in chat. But um, again, we understand schedules change. Of course. And people, hopefully you guys will catch up and you'll be here uh, as we go forward. So a couple other things going on. A big shout out to brand new members of the Team Action Patreon. we got William Bedford, who's uh, not just a new member, but he's a new general. He's actually upgraded. He is now a general of the Action Army, so that's a it's a big salute to you, sir. And we've also got Anika R. A uh, big salute to you as well. Yeah, William Belford is an awesome dude. He's been like very interactive on uh, Twitter with us, yeah. and he's been a fan of the show, MTS, all that good stuff. Just so gave up smoking. Congratulations. Oh man. yeah, congratulations. That that's actually. Hell yeah. yeah. William gave up smoking. He's been doing great, and he used his extra money to become a general in the Army. In the which Army. Which is, like, very inspiring. Yeah, so. it's a big deal. Yeah, and then the other thing that we wanted to talk about really quickly, guys, before we hop into the show, we actually have a little bit of extra time at the end of the show today, so we're going to burn a little at the beginning. It's been a, it's been a really exciting uh, couple months for us, but more importantly... Our Action Army and Action Movie Anatomy page and this show, we're all hitting, like, we're about to hit 200 episodes. We hit a year anniversary in the groups. Um, This has brought so much joy to our lives, so much work to our lives. It's actually kept our friendship very, very strong over the last couple years as we've gotten busier. Um, So from Ben and I, uh, I I know that we are just so grateful and thankful for every single one of you. Whether you're a patron or not, whether you've watched every episode or you've only seen two uh, we cannot thank you enough for all your support. Yeah, it's been a pretty amazing few years, and, and especially since the Action Army got really rolling. Uh, just what a fun time. New friends, new new fans, new supporters, new inside jokes. Uh, so just a big thank you guys uh, one more time. We salute you. We salute you. Yeah. So uh, the last thing to shout out here before we get into the actual show, because we've got a great show coming up for you today, yes. is um, R.I.P. Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Just That's happened a few hours ago. Yeah, and, and I had no idea. I, I walked into the studio, and you're like, you hear? And I was like, what? And you're like, Bert died a couple hours ago. And I was I was truly saddened. I don't know Bert well, like, as an actor. I yeah. haven't watched a lot of his stuff. But, yep. But we do have one 
movie in common that we love. Which is Boogie Nights. You know, you guys, a lot of you guys know, uh, as you've watched us over the years, there's a phrase we use a lot when we talk about something. It's, it's a real movie, Jack. It's a real movie, Jack. And that's Jack Horner we're referring to there, played by Burt Reynolds famously in Boogie Nights, his only yeah. Oscar nomination for the film Boogie Nights. And uh, he's unbelievable in that role. And I, I think, you know, I tweeted about this, but I believe that the greatest actors are the ones where their talent and their significance keeps them relevant for multiple generations, right? Even if you... Yeah, when you when you transcend generations, when you evolve with movie making. You become uh, an integral character in another film, in another generation, and, and younger people know who you are for one reason or another, and uh, that's a big deal. So, you know, for me... Burt Reynolds is not somebody that I was old enough to have grown up watching Deliverance or Smokey and the Band or The Longest Yard or any of these films, you know, Cannonball Run. I mean, I've seen a lot of these movies, but uh, I was born in 88. None of those films came out after 88. Right, and it's not like... um it's not like movies that you were just like dying. He wasn't one of your favorite actors like the same no. way that Paul Newman was he where didn't... you would go back and watch all of his films. He was a movie star more than he was an actor for the most part. I mean, he was really somebody who was great in his roles, but he didn't stretch. He he was a sex, is a sex symbol in his time. Like <laughs> He was truly like one of those guys. And so, uh, But just seeing that news today, I mean, Boogie Nights is it's arguably my favorite film of all time. I mean, it's right same. up there. And he's great in it. And so, you know, just a, just a big... Uh, Cheers. Yeah, you brought a lot of joy to our lives, man. So I yeah. hope, you're, uh, hope you're doing well up there. Rest easy, legend. Yeah. Uh, guys, this is Action Movie Anatomy. This is a show where we talk about action movies, and we have four basic rules that every single episode must follow. What are those rules, Bateman? <laughs> Rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Nope. He doesn't. Not at all. He just like kind of follows the system. <laughs> he's, he's just so <laughs> not in his element. Meanders through drunk, just like only until like yeah, not at all. The hero and the villain are always the smartest people beings, things dinosaurs would have in the room. Well, he's sort of the smartest because he manages to like get away and outsmart the bad guys, kind of. And I, I guess the other smartest guy in the room is infertility. Yeah, infertility or Sid. Uh, but th- Sid's definitely not the other smartest guy in the room or the villain. Yeah, infertility, and I think. Um, it's it's one of those things where as as we get older and the world evolves and things change, uh, yeah. these dystopian movies, and you realize that infertility is the villain, and it's like horrifying, and it's like the fact that I actually think it's really beautifully written. Yeah. I think it's something Gorgeous. that's very feasible, and I love the panic that that, that everyone yeah. in the movie goes through. They have nothing to live for, you I, know. I think you know if we're being totally accurate, and sometimes we do this. I, I think you would say that oh. uh, a combination of oh go ahead no no go ahead. Julianne Moore and Clive Owen, the combination of those two together, mm-hmm. I think that's the hero because she trusts him as the only person she can trust. And so her intelligence and his ability and their sort of like commitment to one another that you, you feel throughout the film, that is sort of the, the smartest guy in the room. Yes. And then I was going to say on the other edge, edge side of that, she would tell Edgy of four yeah. and infertility is like the villain because he's actually, he, I mean, he lasts to the very end. He's like, yeah. I don't I mean, he's definitely not that smart because he's going against a tank yeah. in a building, but yep. yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's rule number two. The, the rule number three: the movie is driven by police, military, political, or mercenary figure. Nope, he's nope. not. He's not. He's none nope. of those things. Rule number four: the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. There's a bunch of yes. explosions in this movie. They're we sweet. Get, yeah, we got one and a half. Yeah, or four. You know, as the show has evolved, uh, we just don't care anymore. We no, just, I, you know, we, I mean, honestly, we really don't because we just want to talk about movies that we think are fantastic and that we love. And I'm pretty sure. The trailer for this movie is pretty sweet. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, coming up, guys, just before we watch the trailer here on the show today, we are going to be answering some of your action movie anatomy questions submitted on the Twitter and on the Facebook. We are going to be doing Overly Sieged, Underly Sieged, Properly Sieged on Clive Owen. We are going to be ranking the three amigos of Mexican cinema. That is Guillermo del Toro, Alfonso Cuaron, and Alejandro Gonzalez and Ari 2. Uh, they are all friends who have worked for years together on each other's films. All acclaimed, all Oscar winners. So let's uh, let's talk about their films. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Certainly can't remember when anyone else did either. Marissa Serafini in the booth. Feels great to have you back, Marissa. Yeah. Since women stopped being able to have babies, what's left to hope for? The world was stunned today by the hmm. death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. The youngest person on Earth was 18 years, 4 months, 20 days, 16 hours, and 8 minutes old. I watched a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff on this about how they filmed it all, all the different single cam stuff, all the handheld stuff, the crazy apparatus that they filmed. You've seen that before. I, I, I think I've seen it years and years ago. I don't remember it. They built this insane apparatus to film the single take in a car. It like looks like a boat. It, there's like a boat on top of a car on top of a platform with like this crazy arm, and the camera can move all around inside the car. It's crazy. I'm sorry about the theatrics. Cuaron was not 
he was famous, but he wasn't like the Alfonso Cuarón that no. he is now. Now he's like kind of a let. Honestly, he's kind of been forgotten of the three. He hasn't made something like super impactful in the last couple of years. He's made two movies in the in the last twelve years. Yeah, Gravity and this. I mean, not Gravity. Yeah, Gravity. Yeah, Gravity. Yeah, he won Best Director for Gravity. So. I trust you. Show him. Right, right, right. Now you know what's at stake. The part where the woman holding the arm, I seriously went, holy shit. Yeah, we all did. Yeah. <laughs> the boat. Welcome to the movie. The human project of sent a boat. The human project. Oh, there's the greatest a... minds in the world working for a new society. Cigaros. Yep. You're I love Cigaros. Me too. The whole world another another thing for. that makes me feel old. Yeah, right. right. We will find a way to get you to the human project, I promise you. I'm getting chills. Yeah. We're almost there, Keith. We're almost there. Yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> and it's it's so beautiful. Yeah, like, it, it's so beautifully shot. So this will get into our thesis statements here, uh, and it you know there's there's obvious ones, uh, there are difficult ones. Mm-hmm. I I thought a lot about mine, and I I struggled to come up with a thesis statement that I really that I really loved. Um, I feel I feel strongly about mine, but it's not as refined as some of the others in the past. So I'm gonna let you jump in first. Yeah, here. sure. I'll hop in first here. I um I do quickly want to remind everybody, just in case you're watching or listening for the very first time. What our thesis statement oh, segment yeah, of the like, show is. I was like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just going to pass to you and then interrupt you. Um, thesis statement is your biggest, boldest thought on the film. It is the thing that if this film came up at a party, you would say, here's the thing about Children of Men. And you would you would lay this on them, and then this would be sort of the thing you'd hope to blow their mind with. Um, this is your I'm really smart about movies moment. Uh, <laughs> it's the biggest, boldest thought you have. Should never be my favorite this. It's almost rooted in hyperbole. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if mine's like going to make me sound like super smart when I say it because it's like uh, there, there's a lot of really broad thesis, thesi that you and I discuss. Like, is this Clive Owen's best movie? Is this the best dystopian film? Is this Quaron's best? Like all these best of it's just so general. Um, and mine still is actually kind of general, but it's a little more pointed to something that I discuss a lot on the show. And that's the IMDb top 250. Yeah. And now while you and I don't exactly see eye to eye on the top 250 we do agree that most of the movies in it when we talk about them uh and have seen them we're like okay it makes sense like this movie did this for filmmaking or this movie impacted me in this way for me i am not only shocked but i'm appalled that this film is not in the 250 Mm. the top 250 even if it was number 250 look like it is beautifully shot. It's a better it, movie than Wonder Woman. It's a, it is a better movie than Wonder Woman. It really is. It's a better movie than Rush. Yeah. And I like Rush. Yeah. And I think it deserves to be in the top 250. But this movie, it's so beautifully shot. The yeah. set design is absolutely incredible. Like, you look at the end of the film when they're coming around the corner in a tracking shot with hundreds of extras while guns are going off, while there's blood on the camera. There's tanks and there's buildings falling. And there's there's so much coordination and choreography. It's it's masterful from a technical standpoint. And then you take it to the writing. Brilliant, simple story, and the acting is is, is, is beyond perfect. Michael Caine, one of his best roles yeah, ever. Yeah, he's great. Um, I just can't believe it. I it's really, I very really surprising. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it might be the most glaring omission. Um, always hard to say there because there are only 250 spots on that list, and there's so many great movies in the world. But uh, I hear you on that one. I'm going to uh, jump in next with mine, and I'm going to say um, no film has ever contrasted uh, no film has ever contrasted dirt in its subject matter and beauty in its uh, capture of that subject matter better than this film. I, 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 I get it's a little convoluted, but I know what you're saying. It's basically the contrast between the the dirty backdrop, the dirty subject matter, the hopelessness, and how beautifully this film is shot. Right. I, I've never seen anything in my life that does it as beautifully as this. It's, it's, it's one of the most beautifully shot films I've ever seen, and it is so dirty, it is so grimy, it's so violent. You want to cry all the time for two reasons. It's so beautiful, and it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Like, it, the, the actual visuals of it is so beautiful that, like, from an, it's like when you look at a painting or you, look, you like, step out in a mountain, you look out, you're like, I just want to cry. It's like yeah. that, but then also, it's so bleak. Yeah. 
it's crazy, and the themes that run throughout this film, um, you know, hope, uh, hopelessness, there, there's just a lot to unpack here. So I, I didn't quite know how to put it into words, but that was the biggest takeaway that I sort of found myself thinking about when I was re-watching scenes of this film this morning, and we watched it last night, but yeah. uh, re-watching scenes of my phone just to sort of, like, uh, oh, you know what, like, I wanted to see that moment again, and, and, like, what I was struck with was, like, I remember watching this film in theaters in 2006. I remember being in theaters with my girlfriend at the time, Hannah, and I remember we watched... This movie and that scene with the baby when they start coming down the stairs and everything stops. Ugh. I remember like being moved to tears in the theater. Like I, I just remember this. Like uh, it was just very impactful. Like I haven't seen a lot of movies that I can like remember feeling that way in a certain scene as clearly as this movie. Well, it's so beautifully shot. The 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 juxtaposition of going into the building and leaving the building. Think about them going in. You know, yeah. tanks are shooting at it. Clive's foot is cut open, bloody. Key's not there. Yeah. It's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And then, flash forward to five minutes later, the whole world has stopped. Yeah. Completely. For for about a minute. For about one minute. And then, you everyone's reminded of like, oh yeah, this is what it's like when there's hope. Right. This is what it's like. And then, they go back to where they are, which is hopeless. And yep. they, it, everything just goes crazy again, then guns go off, and it's... I'm, and I, I love Quaron's way of just... Putting the viewer there, the camera is the viewer. Yeah. We are right there watching everything. Yeah. We're omnipresent. Yep. Um, yeah, the juxtaposition of that scene is, is absolutely beautiful, and it, it ties in perfectly with your thesis. Yeah. Like you want to cry, but it's, you just can't stop looking. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, remember, I do remember walking out of this film and feeling like this is perhaps one of the best movies I'd ever seen when I, when I, watched, when I walked out of the theater. When I made my list of 50 favorite films last year, I think this was in the honorable mentions. I don't think it made my top 50, but then watching it again... I did notice though last night saying to you there are there is a sub, a style of film that I don't find as compelling over time to watch and that's like as beautiful as this movie is and as incredible as I think it is like I find that once I've seen a film like three or four times there has to be some sort of campy quotable memorable quality mm-hmm. that makes me want to keep watching it because otherwise it's like I don't know it it's like it lacks some some like it's like you need a little bit of fun. Stupid comedies get better on repeat viewings. Yes. Stupid action movies get better on repeat viewings. Cheesy movies that are that make you feel something right. like warrior get better on repeat viewings. They have fist pump moments. Like they have tangible like Yes. Yeah, yeah. This movie like is beautiful, but that doesn't really have that kind of thing in yeah, it. Yeah, and like we talked about the other movies that are kind of that feel that way like Requiem and The yeah. Road and there's a lot of really great movies that and that's like you know that's what that's what's great about you and I is it's, it separates us as people because yeah. I like those movies. You I like to rewatch them. I like to rewatch the bleak, the sad. Like last night when I was watching Children of Men, I was it was maybe one of the most enjoyable instances I've had watching a movie in a long time. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot uh, that we don't watch movies we've seen before anymore um, really as much anymore because yeah. of Smowdown. And so like I haven't seen Children of Men in years, and like watching it last night was a true treat for me. Yeah. Definitely. So that's going to wrap up Fist Pump Moment, guys, or a thesis statement, I should say. Uh, put it in the chat. Leave it in the comments. Tweet at us. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, you guys can find me at Andrew Guy. Yeah. And uh, we have the, the podcast, which is uh, at Team Action Show. Yes. So uh, check that stuff out. Actually, speaking of Team Action Show, uh, this is pretty fun. We have some pretty good stuff coming up here. We'll talk about Patreon in a little bit. But one of the things, if you are a Patreon in the Team Action Show Patreon, is uh, at the highest levels... We do this thing now where we do speeches oh of uh, celebrities uh, at, in the voice of your celebrity doing the speech of your choice. So the ones that we have coming out, they're so good. Andrew does the Independence Day speech, the Bill Pullman Independence Day speech in the voice of Albert Finney. Yes. Um, and it's really good. It's it's very funny. Uh, it's on my computer right now. I'm editing it. It's going to go up soon. You're going to find that. We're going to make them public, actually. So it's it's not those won't be behind a paywall. I will probably honestly play them on the show so you'll hear them. But Yeah, we might do it during like the old... Uh, old Cage versus Cruise segment. And then Ben, on the other hand, for Brianne Chandler, does Quaylen from Cliffhanger, That's John, John Lithgow. Lithgow. Taka. Don't you forget it, Taka. Doing the speech from Magnolia, the respect the cock speech from Magnolia <laughs> from Tom Cruise. It's brilliant. They're both brilliant. We, we, we got together last night. We filmed a bunch of segments for the Patreon, patreon.com slash teamaction, and we had some scotch, and then we were like, before we watched Children of Men, should we just, we were like a little drunk, and we we're like, should we just do this? Knock and it out. was amazing. They're funny. Yeah. So those will go up very soon, guys. So go find, you know, subscribe to that. Uh, I think probably also... 
if you're wondering how to find the YouTube, because we just have started, we haven't like really posted anything, you can just go to patreon.com slash team action and we will be publicly posting uh, like the link onto that page. So you'll be able to find kind of what we're doing there. So anyway, yeah. all right, guys, let's continue through the show. Next up on the show, we've got fist pump moment. This is that moment in the movie. Something happens. You look around. You're like, oh, my God. Are you seeing this right now? This is so good. Yes, I get to watch the rest of this movie. You get so excited. You call your buddy. You need to show someone. Um, this movie is very interesting in fist pumps. As I said, right, it doesn't exactly have moments that make me feel like, yes, it has moments that make me feel like, holy shit. Yeah, because all the greatest moments, it's like, oh, a baby's being born. Can they hear it? Oh, he sees the baby. Are they going to kill yeah, him? Yeah, right. Oh, Clive, they get away. Clive dies. Like, or does he? And you're like, there's no real, like, yes! Yeah, it's not confirmed at the end, right? It's not confirmed, which yeah. I like. Yeah, they, they, uh, they, Actually, they, guys, if you're in the chat right now, and and uh, since it's not confirmed, and, and Marissa hasn't seen this movie, which is great, because now we're not spoiling it, yes, I am Sean Harris lit. Uh, guys, what do you think? Is he alive? Is he dead? Um, we got a fist pump explosion of emotion. I'll call my baby Dylan. Yeah, it's a I really cried, good moment. Because yeah. that's the name of his son, yep. which is heartbreaking. Um the closest thing to a fist pump is when the soldiers yell ceasefire. ceasefire. Yep, yeah. that is absolutely fantastic. That's Arena and Richard there. Um, our fist pump moments are more like, mine's like a holy shit filmmaking moment. I do want to check something. Hey, Marissa, up in the booth, how you doing? What's up, gentlemen? Hey, you know, I'm feeling a little warm. Is there any chance we could check and see if, oh yeah? No, our, our, uh, no Andrew, I feel Andrew warm guys as well. Temperature is, sure. <laughs> I, I definitely feel warm as well. Um, Thank you, I appreciate that, Marissa. You haven't seen this movie, really? Jeez. I have not, no. Do you I'm remember gonna, it coming I, out? I am a fan of Clive Owen. I remember it coming out, I just never got to it. Interesting, yeah, this is one you should definitely watch. It's not uh, It's not good in that bad action movie way that so many of the films we do. It's like actually really, really, really good. But yeah. I'm really excited and I've already made an agreement with Andrew to borrow it from I'm going to bring her so. the DVDs. Yes. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, so I, I want you to go first on this one because I don't want to take it. And, yeah. and if you don't mention it, I have to mention it and I'm going to tell you mine. I know what I believe yours is. I know what you think it is. It, okay. So for me, it's the, it's so hard for it not to be the big, long tracking shot in the car. Only because from a filmmaking perspective, it's like you just don't really see things that are that impressive very often. That that was like Mad Max Fury Road level of holy shit. It was like... Oh, be, yeah. It was like one of those things where you were just like... This is re- this is like actually real. You just, you're just doing this you in just one take, and like the ping pong ball, all of it. It's like what? Yeah, the ping pong ball is like starts it off, and then you see the car roll in on fire, and you're like, "What the? F- what's it's going on?" Just amazing. But uh, my fist pump moment in this in this film is actually at the end. It's the moment we talked about it. They the baby's crying, ceasefire, mm. and you have this moment of like, "Wow, maybe the world can stop it from killing itself." And then an explosion goes off, and they go right, right back, back to it. Yeah. And that's the moment for me where you're just like, "Have we learned nothing?" It's like humanity cannot save itself. You, that's like that's the moment where you're like, "It doesn't." Humanity is is destined to destroy itself. This is the first time in almost two decades a child has been seen, and they risk killing it right after seeing it. Yeah. That's crazy to me. It's insane. And yeah, I think for me, that's such a powerful moment. So I think that's probably my fist pump. Um, you know, there are, there are obvious other ones, like them hitting the uh, the asshole with the dreadlocks with the car door. There are other oh, moments. That's, that's <laughs> excellent. The bike actually flipping is yeah. like an insane fist pump moment. Uh, so I like that. And I, and I love that you use that because that is that was like partially mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but so mine's the end. It's, yeah. it's So from a filmmaking standpoint... It's the beginning of the tracking shot where Clive gets through the door. He kills Sid with the car battery. I love the quick kill of Sid. It's just like so brutal, brutal. and just real. Just done. One hit, done. You think Sid's definitely dead? I think so. Yeah. He, like, I think you can hear his like neck break. Or just, just like, just like a heavy hit. piece of metal. Yeah, that's gnarly. Uh, but my fist pump is Clive cuts his foot. He cuts his foot badly in real life. He goes, oh, fuck. And you see the blood come down. It's not. That's not fake blood. That's real yeah. blood. Yeah. And then he does the whole shot. Yeah. The whole scene while he's bleeding. And, and it's just so amazing from, from a, from a f- fan of film to see that. I mean, it's like the Aragorn moment when he kicks the helmet and breaks his toe, except for yeah. then he screams and the, the thing cuts. And people are like, man, that was a real scream. Yeah. yeah. This is a real, like, two-minute tracking shot with a guy with a cut foot on, like, rocks in, in, in a war zone. Oh, I'm like so heated right now. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the behind the scenes stuff, when Clive's talking about making this movie, one of the things that he says is 
these long shots that Koran wanted to make. Uh, and it's interesting, too, that in, in RE2, you know, they, they do similar things. They have interest in, in sort of a similar style of filmmaking in that sense. But these long shots that, that Quaron was experimenting with, o- Owen is saying there's sort of a collaborative team feeling when you shoot a f- film like this because everybody has to rehearse so much. And it's all choreographed so perfectly that you really do feel like it's this team effort to pull it off. It's, the extras matter just as much as you. Yeah, and so, like, when he cuts his foot, it's like his commitment to keep going is such a... That just it, like it's a moment of solidarity where everybody on the team is like, we're just gonna do this, and he cut his foot, but like he's gonna keep doing. It. I'm gonna keep doing. If he doesn't, it. yeah, they have to reset. Like I bet you at least ten thousand dollars worth of stuff. I, probably I, fifty to a hundred. And in a shot that big, you're talking about an entire day. Yeah. You probably have one shot at it at the beginning of the day to get it all set. You probably don't get to reset and shoot that a second time. I'll bet you. I'll yeah, bet you it takes I, a full yeah, day. That, that's just insane. Uh, so those are our fist pumps, guys. Let us know what your fist pumps are. A lot of the things in the chat are more like holy shit moments, yeah. uh, which I completely understand. Holding got, the arm, maybe. Yeah, or... the holding arm is in there. We've got the uh, the baby drying scene. Is It was really beautiful. Like, finally seeing it cease fire, obviously. Um yeah, I'll call my baby Dylan's a fist pump. Yeah, so those are all those are all excellent fist pumps, guys. Uh, we're gonna move. Should we move on? Yeah, I yeah. think I, so. So quickly before we get into production development, which we're gonna get to in just one second, um, we mentioned Patreon.com/slash/TeamAction. So what that is, if anybody was wondering, is that Andrew and I every single week now, not just one, we do two videos. We do two extra videos in front of this giant mural of Nick Cage that I have on the wall of my apartment, and it's also hanging outside of a bar somewhere yeah. in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, yeah, we do top five lists. If you guys pay five dollars or more, uh, you get to submit your lists of top five, and then Andrew and I will go in and we'll we'll, we'll rank them and we'll talk about them. We do schmodown reactions because Andrew and I are on the schmo down and we uh, compete in this movie trivia show which a lot of you guys know about um we we do all kinds of fun stuff we have a drunk watch along coming up on there so patreon.com slash team action is the way to get involved there we'll talk a little bit more of that drunk watch along in a little bit and check out the facebook pages uh that is the the action movie anatomy facebook page as well as the action army facebook page uh both full of fun interaction talking about uh, movies that we like i just said something wrong and the chat's dying what'd you say i said baby drying because i just read what someone wrote is, I, I thought they were talking about after the baby was born in the hotel room. You said that, and I was like, I must have missed that. I, I Yeah, and I was like, I think that's what it was, but uh, now I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and everyone's laughing at me. This is almost as bad as Supercell. I'm heated. I'm very hot. <laughs> All right, whatever. I hate you all. Uh, okay, so yeah, the Patreon.com, the Drunk Watch Long is going to be super awesome. I'm really excited for it. We've got promos going. We're going to pick out. We got to figure out what booze we want to do for MI3. Yeah, I don't. I don't know exactly what we should drink. I mean, I think our go-to classically together has always been Jameson, um, but then there's also Scotch. Uh, so maybe we'll get a Scotch of some kind. I know yeah. we've at one point. Um, at one point, uh, we had drank a bottle for the hundredth episode. I think Ryan Sconard. Uh, oh yeah, you yeah. sent some Lefroy. Ryan and Diana sent us a bottle of Lefroy for the hundredth. That that was really fun. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we'll, <laughs> I think we'll, we'll pick something good. Uh, Finstock will be there too. We'll find out what he wants to drink. Probably, probably Finstock's like, I just want uh, natural ice. Yeah, <laughs> natty ice, exactly. Natty ice. So we'll figure something out. But uh, yeah. let's talk about the f- people that made this film. So the film is written by Alfonso Cuarón. It's also directed by Alfonso Cuarón. Um, there are other people involved, but I think the most important thing to talk about is that Coron is one of these three directors we mentioned early, the three amigos of Mexican cinema. Yes. Um, whose all careers started in the early 2000s, and basically it's Al- Alfonso Coron, Alejandro Gonzalez and Ari 2, and... And... What are you... Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> uh, and they're all... He's having a stroke. They, they sort of uh, all came about, in, in, as far as their, their prominence in America in the early 2000s. Yeah. Around the same time, by the way, as Fernando Marielis, who did City of God. Yes, but which he's, is another great movie. But he's Brazilian. Mm-hmm. But there was a swath of these filmmakers coming to America making these very gritty films, kind of dark, gritty films. Uh, that There was a little, little bit of this, like, once uh, one of them had succeeded, there was a little bit more of, like, oh, this is exciting. This is a real thing. Yeah. And then it sort of became, a, I guess, a trend or something like that. Uh, because yeah. It's hard as a, as a foreign filmmaker to get taken seriously in America. You have to work pretty hard. Yeah, absolutely. And so these guys now have worked very, very hard. They're three of the most established, uh, prolific directors in the business. They've all won the Best Director Oscar. And um, we are going to talk about who we actually believe is our favorite. Yeah, we're going to talk about the three, and we're going to rank their three their three careers. So uh, I wonder... I already know who my third is, and it's crazy, but it's Guillermo. As Me too. M- as much as I love Guillermo, and I've actually seen more of his movies than anyone else. I mean, obviously, the, Quaron only has, like, a couple. And I wonder if we have the same three. I think we do, because Quaron's my number one. Me too. Yeah. So it's just the same. So let's talk about why. 
So, okay, so for me... We didn't plan this. Yeah. <laughs> the reason that Guillermo del Toro is my least favorite of the three is not because I think in any way that he's anything other than a brilliant filmmaker. It's because I think the movies that he makes in general... Paul Oyama agrees as well. Same thing. I don't like... Uh, I don't find myself to be as much of a fan of Guillermo's movies. It's it's not that they're bad movies. It's like even Shape of Water, which is a Best Picture it's winner. beautiful and cool, but... I just don't care to ever watch it again. I mi- It missed for me. Yeah, I, I don't care to watch it ever again. I've never wanted to watch Pan's Labyrinth again, even though that I think it's probably his best film. I've watched that a couple times. I do like it, but yeah, I don't. it doesn't call out to me to watch it. And then on the other side of that, when you go to Inaritu... I need to watch Birdman again. I've only seen it once. I have to watch it, and I just can't get myself to do it. I love The Revenant, but you're more lukewarm on it. I think that in RE2, if you were going to just try to sort of... If you were going to try to say who is the best filmmaker based on just, like, general acclaim and just, like, the amazing... Like, I think the answer has to just be in RE2. Like, that's the, that's the I think, obvious answer. Yeah, I mean, he's a back-to-back D- best, best director. director. Like, But I don't find that I love his movies as much. I liked Birdman a lot. I liked The Revenant a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like his other movies, like you know, like like Babel. I like and, and Amoros Peros and Twenty One Grams. Like I think he makes good movies. I just don't. Again, I, I, they're incredibly dark and bleak for the most part. Yes, those that trilogy, all three of those films. Like I saw Twenty One Grams in theaters. I saw Babel in theaters. Um, yeah, I think I think technically he's probably the best, but I would put him second behind Cuaron only because. Truthfully, Gravity and Children of Men, I just like so They're much. so good. And I actually only finally just got around to watching Gravity last year, and I was blown away. Gravity's so it's good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. And um, so, guys, in the chat here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some of the stuff you're talking about. And, one, and the biggest thing I've noticed is uh, the drastic contrast between the love of, of Del Toro. Now, most people, it, it looks like it's like maybe 60-40 or 70-30, where 70% don't relate to him, just like you and I do, even though we respect his films. But the whole, like, monsters and creatures thing sometimes just detaches us a little bit. Even though yeah. I love him, and I love Pan's Labyrinth, and I and I, I, I like Shape of Water. Hellboy, I mean, <clears throat> Hellboy's cool, but the way that Cuaron's movies actually hit me and impact me... Blade 2, what? <laughs> yeah, Blade 2, Guillermo. Um, is so different. And, and, like, honestly, after watching the movie, like, The Revenant is beautiful. Yeah. It truly is be- but that's just the backdrop. Yeah. That place is just beautiful, and you have a really great lens and a good DP and a cinematographer. And a really good second AD. And a really good second AD who is one <laughs> of the best people I have met in my whole life, Matt Haggerty. Matt Haggerty, our good friend that's been on the show, actually won a Director's Guild Award for being uh, on a, the second AD on The Revenant. So uh, give him some love. I don't know how he doesn't have social media. But um, uh, the way that this movie, when I watched it yesterday, like you said... The backdrop is bleak yeah. and, and, and horrible and dirty and depressing, but he makes such a beautiful movie, and he tells such a wonderful story. The way that he directs all of his actors in this movie, like, Key is someone we're probably not going to talk about at all in the show, yeah. and she does such a great job. Yep. Um, she does such a great job of being, like, exactly what you think that type of person would be, just, like, young, ignorant. She just, like, starts sleeping with everyone to try to get pregnant, and then she's like, thinks she's sick with, the with like, AIDS. She said, like, yeah. the, I think I, I thought I got the bug, but then yeah, it yeah, kicked yeah, me, yeah, and yeah. it was like, I loved it. I think one, we're, we're not being uh, totally and 100% on the nose about how impressive this trio has been. Oh, yeah, no. They're, um, they're, we're literally picking between the top 1%. Do you realize that of the last five Best Director Oscars, they've won four of them? Yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like we're we're if, you, if we we literally have to pick a one, two, and a three right now. They're literally for eighty percent of the last five years in, at the Academy. They've won four of those yes. awards. It literally went Quaron in two thousand thirteen, Inari two, Inari two, uh, Chazelle, and then last year was Del Toro. And not and I honestly don't feel any of those were like not deserved. No, no, no. They're all amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So same list. We got Quaron on top, Inari two in the middle, and Guillermo bringing up the back end. Even though we greatly respect all three of their careers and love all their films uh, or at least a film from each director. Uh, I mean, Cuaron, to talk about the rest of his career, he rose to prominence in the early, uh, the mid-90s, a film called A Little Princess, but really the one that broke him in America was E2 Mama Tambien, which is a coming-of-age story with Diego Luna and Gal Garcia Bernal. Right. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I like that movie a lot. Weirdly enough, then the the Harry Potter franchise decided to go away from Christopher Columbus and give the third Harry Potter film to... to- uh, yeah, to, to, to Cuaron, Cuaron, which is uh, was a strange choice, yeah. and worked kind of. I mean, Azkaban's good. The, the, that franchise really hit its stride. I think actually, 
two movies later uh, when David Yates started directing the films. But, I haven't seen any of them. Um, but like, and then Children of Men is his follow-up to a Harry Potter film. And then he doesn't make another movie until Gravity. And then he wins Best Director for that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so weird. It's, you almost want more, right? Yeah. He's not giving me enough. Totally. Um, Anthony says, uh, um, I don't know if they can compare Guillermo del Toro to the others without mentioning Devil's Backbone and Kronos. Uh, I haven't seen Kronos. And Crimson Peak. And, uh, and Devil's Backbone was good. Oh. <laughs> I like that he didn't when, he produce The Orphanage. I love that movie. When the Kaiju hit San Francisco. When the Kaiju hit San Francisco, yeah. I directed a bad movie we with have to bad remember actors. Pacific Rim is you got to remember the goods and the bads. So that is, we're sticking to it and we're moving on. One thing that we did skip, uh, which is kind of weird, is we're going to talk about our, our two actors. Um, Clive Owen and Chiwetel Ejiofor are... I'm so glad I had to write his name down because yeah. now I can spell it. You couldn't say it before. I, I couldn't spell it. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't say it until I heard you say it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we got Chiwetel Ejiofor, who actually worked with Clive Owen and Spike Lee in Inside, Inside Man. Man in yep. 2006. The year before that, he was in Kinky Boots, and the year before that, in 2005. Excuse me, the film before that was Kinky Boots in 2006, and the year before that, he was in Slow Burn. In Big 2005. Shout out to Joel Edgerton, who was also in Kiki Boots. Yeah? Yeah. I don't, I don't know any of those movies other than Inside Man. And yeah. then on the other side of it, you've got uh, Derailed in 2005, uh, Pink Panther in 2006 for Clive Owen. He's just like a quick cameo in it. And then, obviously, Inside Man. And this gets us to something that we've talked about a lot today uh, off camera and what the chat has talked about a lot today, and that is Clive Owen's career. Now, Marissa loves Clive Owen. Yeah. I like Clive Owen, but I, I don't really know how I feel about him. So we're going to do our classic... Overly Siege, Underly Siege, Properly Siege, yeah. Clive Owen. And uh, how about you jump in? Um, I'm going to say that Clive Owen's overrated. Um, Clive Owen's overrated. And I know it's weird because Clive Owen hasn't really been famous for about a decade. Yeah. He, like, has been in things. He is still a famous person. If people saw him today in a restaurant, they'd probably recognize who he is. He was in famous enough movies that he gets the credibility of still booking things. But in terms of the level of star Clive Owen was in from basically 2004 to 2009, seven? I guess. <laughs> yeah, seven for like three to five years. Uh, people still think of Clive Owen as like this guy where like, OK, for instance, if you were to find out tomorrow that uh, Captain Marvel casts Clive Owen and blah, 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 like, of course, You're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. He's like a famous actor. People like him. He's been in stuff people like. Sure. He can be in a Marvel movie. Oh, right. he's in a DC movie? Sure. Oh, he's in the next Star Wars? Sure. Like, none of those things would surprise me. Uh, so Clive Owen is still famous enough to, for that to be the case. And to me, that's totally overrated. I, like, haven't seen any of these movies. So I'm going to go in from, like you said, 2009 Duplicity was, like, the last one that you liked. Well, and the reason was... Duplicity was a relevant movie is because Michael Clayton in 2007, which was nominated for Best Picture, Tony Gilroy wrote and directed it. His follow-up to that film brought back... Tom Wilkinson, his Best Supporting Actor nominee. Right, right. Uh, it put Clive Owen across from Paul Giamatti, and then it also included Julia Roberts. So it was a huge cast, very capable director, following up his biggest success, his breakout film. Uh, and it's got this kind of comic tone to it. It's it's a fun movie, but it's not particularly good. That's the last movie that he was in that I was like, oh, yeah, like th- I remember this being a big deal. Right, because he goes, this movie, shoot him up, then Elizabeth the Golden Age, The International, Duplicity, The Boys Are Back, which I know, Trust and then it goes on this this run of Killer Elite, Intruders, Shadow Dancer, Hemingway and Gellhorn, Blood Ties, which Hemingway and Gellhorn's a TV movie from 2012 that got released. <laughs> yep. Uh, Words and Pictures, Last Nights, The Confirmation, The Escape, isn't, Killer in Red. Isn't Valerian in there somewhere? Yeah, Valerian is the next film. Ophelia, Anon, and Three Seconds. I have seen none of those movies. Every single movie that I just l- mentioned, I have not seen. Doesn't he have a credit with Will Smith coming up soon? Isn't he in Gemini Man? Yeah, he's in Gemini Man. So which, that could be a big deal. Yeah, so it's, it's it says an over-the-hill hitman faces off against a younger clone of himself. Um, weird. S- sounds like a sweet premise. Yeah, yeah. So it's Will Smith, Clive Owen, and Mary Elizabeth uh, Parker. Right. Or Winstead, excuse Winstead. me. Um, so yeah, so I like that. And I actually, I mean, this is actually going to probably be a pretty short conversation because I think he's overrated too. Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah, yeah, definitely. He just got. I just listed off twenty movies I haven't seen, and he's he's just getting paid millions and millions of dollars for these shit movies. Now, on the other hand, overrated, underrated. Like we, I don't know if the rest of the world thinks of Clive Owen as, like as affectionately as we do. We just happen to be big movie fans in this period of our lives when these movies were coming out. Yeah, mattered. We were, so we were, yeah, he feels more famous to me. But like, imagine you're twenty one years old right now. Okay, you're finishing your junior year of college. You a lot of people like Valerian. Yeah. Like, imagine you're 21 years old. 
Do you think you have any idea who Clive Owen is? Do you think you... Right now? If you're 21? Probably not. I like, mean, like, maybe? You, I bet you you're like, oh, I know that name. Maybe, you're right? Like, okay, cool. Tell me three movies. Like The Nick, possibly, because it was, like, recent, and he starred, and he was on billboards. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Cinemax, I think. Yeah, I think if you ask them to say... Because you ask a 21-year-old who Clive Owen is, oh, yeah, of course. You're like, okay, what are the three movies? And you'd be like, um... I'm busy on my phone. Yeah, now. I'm busy right now. Don't talk to me, old man. <laughs> God, I hate being old. I'm so old. <laughs> Yes, I'm Canadian. Can we stop talking about my citizenship? <laughs> um, so, so I think I think the, the answer to the question is overrated. I mean, uh, if you go back though to his prime, his like in America, he broke out in '02. He had been working in the UK for, for like 15 time. years. He had been like a legitimate, totally top line, like starring in series type of actor, and then on Broadway. Uh, closer, right? He played the Jude Law role in on stage, which was like the starring role, I guess. Interesting. Um, and then when they made the film, they put him in the other role, which I think is perfect. I can't imagine him having played Jude Law's role. He's like totally a prick and yeah, way better at that. Yes. Um, and he's amazing in Closer, and he's great. And like all, that whole stretch of his career is just awesome. It's just weird that it came and went so fast. And like when I saw him in Valerian uh, in, in the trailer, I was like, man, he got old. Yeah, yeah, weird. Yeah, it's amazing. So fast, happens so fast. Once you're in your forties, yeah, crazy. Those dudes that peak, like the, those dudes that have their peak moment in America when they're like forty two, forty four. A decade later, you, like you see it. Yeah, you're like, holy shit. Yeah, uh, Paul Yama says, but I think as an actor, he's underrated. His movies don't necessarily reflect his ability. Yeah, I, I can agree Fair. with that. Yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. Um, but. You're not on the show. No, I'm just, <laughs> just joking, brother. Uh, all right, so we're going to move on here, and we're going to talk about the writing about this, which I think is – I'm just going to pull up Wikipedia and tell you guys some really interesting stuff that I thought was the most fascinating about this. Um, this movie is based off of a book called Children of Men by P.D. James, but Quaron actually refused to read it. He read the abridged, abridged version while he had his writing partner, Timothy J. Sexton, read the full version. And then the two of them together came and wrote the script. Then, he didn't immediately begin the production. He went off to do Prisoner of Azkaban. And during that time, David Arada was hired to rewrite the screenplay and deliver more of this, like, United Kingdom exposed and, you know, like, just, just kind of get more of touch of, uh, of the UK because Quaron is clearly not from there. Um, I think it's a really great idea. I really like that they had this big team of writers. I like that they uh, wrote a script and, and came away from it and then came back to it. I also really enjoy that Quaron didn't read the book. He read an abridged version and had his partner read the full book. So that so he, he still wasn't did influenced do, by it? Exactly. He was, he, was, he was not too heavily influenced by it, but he still did do justice to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that you know, it's uh, other than that, there's a couple more writers. There's Mark Abraham, Tony Smith, and Eric Newman uh, as producers, excuse me. Uh, the writers, the other writers are Mark Fergus and Hawk Ostby. And, uh, and yeah, the producers are Hillary Shore, Ian Smith, Tony Smith, Mark Abraham, and Eric Newman. Uh, well, yeah, we're definitely going to skip over them today just because I don't think the producers are that interesting on this movie. Yeah. Uh, but this is interesting. This movie didn't really do that well at the box office, but I think it did okay. It was uh, produced by Universal, or distributed, excuse me. cost $76 million to make. It was released on Christmas of 2006, one of my favorite Christmas films. Oh, Christmas 2006, huh? Uh, it is a... It grossed $35 million domestic, an additional $34 million wide for a loss of $7 million, only grossing $69 million. So it, bizarre. It's crazy, right? And, and yeah. you look back, and it's one of the best movies ever. And in its opening weekend, it was number three at $10 million, So it made a sixth of its total uh, gross in the opening weekend. And it was still behind Night at the Museum, which was making $23 million and Directed by? Uh, Sean fucking Levy. <laughs> and then, uh, I hate you, Drew McQueenie. <laughs> uh, and, then, uh, and then the other one was The Pursuit of Happiness at $12 million, I think in like week three or something like that, which um, makes sense. Will Smith was on top of the world at that time. This is like the, this is like the, the, uh, the end of the, 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 the run. Will Smith run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is like when it started to slow down. So critically, this movie's got a 7.9 on IMDb, and that is where I'm upset because it's not it, – got to be an 8.1 above to be in the top 250. But then you go to Rotten Tomatoes, all critics give it a 92, top give it a 90, and the audience give it an 85, which is much more appropriate. Yeah. Even if it was just 85. I'd be okay with that. Totally, that's an eight point five. That's yeah, a high, that's. I mean, I would put it like in the top fifty, probably. Right, but even if it was an eight point two on IMDb, it just it just seems crazy to me. So, um, yeah, those are those are the critical and box office about them, and we're gonna hop into our questions here. And 
I love this. Russell Howe uh, asked this like a week ago, and uh, I, I think it's really interesting. Don't you think it's funny uh, looking back on so, – so before we get into this, Russell Howe, I promise you I'm not jumping over your, yeah. uh, your answer here. But uh, I think it's funny looking back to even just 2006. It's 12 years ago. At that point, independent filmmaking and the independent film market – was in such a different place. I mean, uh, when we went to see the private screening of my friend Richie Gray's last film, Broken Ghost, right. a couple weeks ago, he talked about the kind of budgets that he was getting offered by companies to make these films, right? He said a few years ago, somebody would have said, you know, 400, four, you know, four, 3 million, 4 million. He's like, oh, today, right. they're asking you, can you make it for 600,000? And the reason is because the market for independent films, the distribution model is so broken now that if you try to put a film, say, on Netflix, unless it's in that top 12 or 15 new releases that it's being featured by a lot of money, it just gets lost. No yeah, one's going to find it. Nobody can't advertise. There's no video store to go through the to, to go through the, the the rows and maybe you know get caught by the cover of a film. Like independent filmmaking is in such a different place now that even in 2006 that this movie would open on Christmas is that, so different than what the, anybody would do today. Like yeah. nobody would open a movie like this on Christmas anymore. No way. This is like spring. Yeah. Or fall. Yeah. You don't do it around the blockbusters at all. Not and even you don't close. do it around family time. You do it when we're all waiting for good movies to come out or after they've all just came out. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're, you don't put this up against like a movie that gets released on Christmas is like it's going to be like Lincoln or it's going to be like a giant Marvel movie right. or Star Wars right. or it's going to be some kids I mean, movie. Think about animated. all the biggest Lord of the Rings trilogy yeah. and the Star Wars new trilogy. It's like they're all Christmas movies. Yeah. Because families are all together, it's time to make the most money. So I get maybe that's what they were trying to do is make more money, but it's like, what family is going to go watch Children of Men? Yeah, this is just a different world. I mean, and again, it, it changed very. It started to change very quickly. Marvel was introduced two years later. Like the the entire new age of movies that we live in now started to evolve. The whole tentpole theory in the next five years, like right. we live in a different world now. This would never happen today. So anyway, just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I like that. That's a great point. Um, so we are going to get an AMA question. These are questions that are submitted. Actually, uh, do you want to do favorite line first? We almost skipped it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we've been jumping all around. This is, guys, you take one week off, you move yeah. one day over, and you don't know where the hell you are. Uh, yeah, so favorite line, guys, is your favorite line from the film. Pretty straightforward. Pull my finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love when it's, a, it's actually in the trailer when Key shows uh, Theo, the baby, in the barn. And I love that when uh, Chiotel Jiafor walks in, I just love it that he puts his hand on his shoulder and as he turns around he says, now you know it's at stake. Yes. That's my favorite line in the movie because it sets the tone. He's not saying it to Clive Owen. He's saying it to us. He's saying it to the audience. Yeah. Now, it's we, as much, now we know what this movie's really about. Exactly. It means as much to Clive Owen as it does to us as an audience. As an audience, it's like, this is cool. This is dark. This is gritty. This has been interesting. Wow, Julianne Moore. What, what is this movie? And then it's and like... It's so simple. Now you know it's at stake. And then you're like, got it. That's what this movie's about. Now I get it. Now we have an hour to get her from here to safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of cheat with my favorite line because it's not about lines for me in this movie. Like, there's a couple. I love the swan song in the ear. It's the last time yeah, you're ever going right. to hear that frequency. It's just like a great jab that Julianne Moore throws to him. Um, but, and I, I wrote down, yeah, now you know what's at stake. Uh, it's, it's the first baby in 18 years. You can't call it Froley. Laughed at that. But for me, there's two scenes. Yeah. There's the one where Key's talking about when she got pregnant. That's just such a beautiful monologue. She delivers it so perfectly, and it really frames what it would be like to be a young adult woman, female, in that time. Your only job is to try to save humanity, essentially. Yeah. That's all you care about. Yep. So I, I love that. The other one is that incredible shot around the corner where you're on Clive, and you got in the background a blurred-out Michael Caine telling the story about why him and Julianne Moore didn't work out. Yeah. Oh, I'm almost getting teared out right now just talking about it. Like, it's just, again, talk about the dirtiest, saddest subject matter and the most beautiful shot. Yeah. You can't take your eyes away from it because it's just such, Clive does such a wonderful job of hearing and feeling and going through the emotions that every word Michael Caine says. And Michael Caine, this is this is Alfred Level co-star, like, greatest in his career. Yeah. This, this movie is so phenomenal and... um yeah, and then I also love at the very, very end, he's like, he's like, yeah, I've talked my way out of worse situations than this. Yeah. And you're like, you're going to die. Right. You're dead now. You're giving up. You're sacrificing yourself. Yep. So anyway, those are all my favorite lines. They are oh, absolutely incredible. But guys, just go back and watch that scene again with Clive around the corner. It's it's phenomenal. The movie has like six to ten shots uh, that are all all amazing. All just like 
you know, just like beautiful, like really, really effective. Yeah. Effective, I think, is, is that's probably the best word to use. All, all the choices that Quaron makes, uh, we haven't even really talked about hardly at all the shot in the car. We've like really barely talked about it. Oh, I know. Uh, really quickly, a couple lines. Very odd what happens in a world without children's voices. Yeah, that's that's a great line. Um, there's all these hallmarks of, of um, there's all these hall- hallmarks of, of post-apocalyptic films, and, and one of the things that you get in so many of these movies is at some point somebody gives a monologue about the day they realized it was happening, yeah, um, or they tell a story. Oh yeah, the nurse, she does a great job when she, yeah, go ahead, sorry, yeah, she tells that story, and it's it's a good reminder of a lot of these films. Uh, like I believe Twenty Eight Days Later has the one uh, where the guy's talking about his family going to the train, trying to buy a spot, and then his sister, and right, they all get crushed right. under their feet. Yeah. That's that moment. Uh, this story about you know the, the infertility. You know, she calls nothing. her friend. She hasn't had one in four weeks either. Yeah, that like, moment. You know, there's uh, you know, Linda Hamilton in, in the beginning of uh, just in the beginning of Terminator Two, the voiceover that starts the film, yes. the date. You know, all these things. Skynet became active. It's like there's this like incredibly systematic way that there there's always like that one moment that kind of sets the it sets the tone for the movie right because it's it's like you would think you when you actually as an audience member contextualize what they're saying you're like whoa you're like i can imagine Not having gone one through that kid being born in a hospital there's no appointments in the next month that would be the scariest shit ever yeah <laughs> it's crazy uh couple more lines here i forgot how small they were that's a great line yeah and then the other one that i love is city jesus christ Jesus Christ. Yeah. You realize he just, he snaps. He can't believe it. So, um, yeah, those are our favorite lines, guys. Uh, now we will finally get to Russell Howell, Howell's question. So Russell Howell asks, remember right before Daniel Craig was announced as Bond, there was rumors that Clive Owen was going to be in the running as Bond. Would you have liked to see Clive Owen, James Bond-led movie? If so, what do you think Owen would bring to the table as 007? Well, I do remember that. Um, it was just before Casino Royale, and uh, Daniel Craig had just done Lair Cake, and there was a question of whether or not he was going to be Bond. Right. Um, when he was announced, he was kind of an unknown. Clive Owen at that moment was surging. He would have been a much more A-list choice at that point, especially in America. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that Daniel Craig is has been as good as Bond as we could have ever hoped for, and I think that uh, Clive Owen works a lot better for me when he's not trying to be a badass. Yeah, or suave. I think he's better when he's a little rougher around the edges. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I think that's why he's so good in Closer to Me. That's why he's so good in this movie. Yeah. Um, Bond is dark, but Bond has to be so fucking charming. He has to be like, he has to be like, you have to just like melt. Yeah, and and I don't really. So for me, and also like I hated Shoot 'Em Up. Like I know it hadn't come out yet that by the time. Sucked. It's so bad, and like, yeah, I. Uh, I like Clive, but I truly believe that Daniel Craig is the best Bond we've ever had, yeah. even over Connery, which I know is a, the blasphemous thing to say. But I think that the only reason that Daniel Craig's career as Bond hasn't been as gleaming and as brilliant and as pristine is because of the films that he actually had to act in. Imagine if he had better writing and you got Goldfinger with Daniel Craig instead of yeah. fucking Spectre. You know, like Spectre was one of the worst things I've ever seen. One and it wasn't because of him. One, yeah. If he had had, I mean, because Skyfall is, is above average to most people. Some people think it's a classic. But if one of the other two had been, like, very good, if, if one of the other two hadn't just been garbage, then, you know, we'd be looking at a different story. And now who even knows what's going to happen with Bond 25 with Danny Boyle exiting? It's like a whole different. Yeah. Yeah, a whole different thing. We is it, is it, it's, it's, it's Craig's last one, correct? Yep. Supposedly then, signed on. And then Danny quits after months because of creative differences, which I'm just like, you're having creative differences with Danny Boyle in a Bond movie? Like, what? what yeah. What's right. happening? Yeah, he just let him do what he wants to do. Yeah, let he's, him do what he wants to do. He's brilliant. He's an Oscar winner. Your movies yeah. suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then, oh, hey, Paul Oyama. That guy. Uh, other AMA question. Where does that one take of the baby being taken out of the building sit amongst the best one takes and shots, uh, just shots cinematography-wise in history? Um, I put it up there with a touch of evil opening. The Goodfellas uh, Copacabana shot. That's a great one. The opening of the player, um, yeah. Hitch, the party shot in Hitchcock's Notorious. I love the opening of Boogie Nights, the tracking shot through that. I also love the tracking shot of William H. Macy going in to his car, getting yep. his gun, coming back, seeing his wife, and killing himself. Um, those are some of my favorites. Yeah. I, I kind of put you on the spot here. No, no, I know. I mean, I, that, that's great. I mean, Touch of Evil is the classic. That's the most famous, uh, the Orson Welles one. You know, the Goodfellas one is is like one of the most iconic shots yeah. in that film, and that's such a great shot too because uh, it, it moves so much and it, and it like set, it really they tell a whole story. They set such a tone in that. 
Um, I love the player. Like that's it's, it's cool, Paul, that you mentioned that. I just rewatched that movie about two weeks ago. I hadn't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. But when I was uh, when I was eleven years old, my older brother got me two VHS tapes for my birthday one year um, from like a used record store or something. One of them was Point Break. The other one was The Player. Point Break mm-hmm. became my favorite movie of all time. And the player became a movie that like a lot of people haven't watched, and it's just like absolutely excellent. And that opening shot is amazing, where it goes all around the studio lot. What about um, the Snake Eyes tracking shot? I love <laughs> that. Is true. It's a great tracking shot. It's a really good one. <laughs> so unnecessary. Who who suggested that? Uh, no, I'm looking uh, up online some of the best ones. That's terrific. Yeah, I think I think the tracking shot in this movie though is pretty amazing. And also, I mean, that tracking shot is incredible. I would argue the one in the car is almost as incredible. Oh, it's, it's not yeah. a tracking shot, but the fact that it's a single take, we talked about this. But yeah, the apparatus they built, you can look this up online. It's like they basically designed a boat that you put on top of a car that's on top of a moving platform. And because actors aren't allowed to drive. Has, yeah, the apparatus has a camera that you're able to like basically move around inside the car. Uh, you're controlling it from above the car and and move around to anybody in the car, which is how you get. The, the driving forward, driving backwards, never cutting, moving around inside the car. like It's like the most personal, impressive, crazy, amazing shot yeah. I've ever seen. Like it's And then the fact when the violence starts, it just keeps going. Yeah, Julianne Moore getting capped and the blood and the, and the freak out and the bike flip and the, the flames and all the extras running out of the wood. It's, it's incredible. It's amazing. I, yeah. I, th- I do believe it's more, maybe more impressive than, the, than the, the one at the end. So... Some of the other ones that I really love and that I'm also looking up because it's hard to think of this on the spot. There's the shining one with Danny behind yeah. on, the, on the on the thing when he sees the girls. That's a great one. I love the Kill Bill over shot that tracks her from the bathroom all the yeah, way out to the right. to the dance floor. Really amazing. Um, oh, and the Pulp Fiction one where uh, Willis goes back into the house, right? Mm, I didn't even remember. I didn't that even realize it was. it was a tracking shot. Yeah, neither but did I. That, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, Paul and Russell, thank you guys so much for your questions. Those are our favorite tracking shots, and uh, I think we both agree that Daniel Craig, it ended where it needed to end. Yeah, I don't think Clive Owen would have brought the right energy to uh, to the role. So uh, moving on, guys, we just have a couple oh, things. Old left. boy, I, I, yeah, I was gonna say the old boy hallways, the original old boy hallways fight scene with the hammer and like a hundred guards. It's like a long shot. I had to say it real quick. Like Sorry. Yeah, it is. Um, there's only one category left here to talk about on the show, guys, and that is there are three action movie categories. Totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. Um, this is another one of those situations where I don't think there's a question. This movie's totally legit. There's yeah. nothing about this that feels silly. There's nothing about it that feels over the top. Um, it's just amazing. It is, <laughs> and I love that the it, all you have to do is say that women are infertile, and uh, that's such a sound point. Yeah, yeah, you right? Like, yeah. You don't need to do anything other than that, and it's like even just hearing that as a 30-year-old man, you're like, oh. Yeah, that would be it. Yep. That'd be the end. Yep. Um, yep. So, uh, just last thing to talk about here on the show, guys. That's called the pitch. Exactly. Still got it. So yeah, nice. <laughs> a couple things coming up, guys. Um, I believe, unless this is incorrect, <laughs> it says it says one and two on the list. Yeah. So I think this is what we want to do here, guys. So some of you may remember that early, very early on, this was like the sixth episode we ever did. We did Predator. We yes. covered the first Predator. Yes, we did. Uh, which our good friend Jason was on the show. Yes. <laughs> um, and Predator is one of my favorite films ever made. I love the first Predator. Predator two, not as good. Um, nope. But, but still it has, entertaining. Uh, some of our some. Some actors in it that we appreciate. Paxton's got Gary Busey. It's yes. got Danny Glover. Yes. Um, I like Predator 2 enough. We're going to watch Predator 2 this week, and we're going to decide how much we want to lean into Predator 1 and how much we, And then the following week, provided it's good, we will do. We will be doing Shane Black's new film, uh, The Predator. Yes. Which, now, I'm, which I'm, like, curious now that they've, they've, they've put so much weight on this, like, alien-slash-predator-evolved creature. Yeah. Now, I don't know if we want to get really crazy here. Uh, and how much time we would have to do it. Do you want to watch Predator 1, Predator 2, and Predators? Screw the Alien movies, because those don't count. Right. In my mind, they don't count. Right. Um, but do you want to watch all three and do a, like, uh, trifecta Predator episode? Like, all of the standalone Predator movies? It sounds like a great idea. It's just, uh, just one just more movie we have to watch. It's just two more movies we have to watch in a week. Um, but I'm not going to say no, because I like the idea of it a lot. I think if we, yeah, we can, we can, we can do it. 
Predator 1, we don't necessarily have to rewatch. I've seen it so many times. Um, but I think that's the plan, guys, is we're going to be doing a, a, a Predator special next week. And provided the new one is good, the following week we'll be doing that as well. Um, last thing but not least, guys. On the 15th of September, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we are going to be doing a drunk watch-along uh, with Bobby Finstock, uh, Bobby Gucci, my manager in the movie trivia Schmodown. It is going to be Mission Impossible 3. That's the film we've decided upon. We'll be watching it, streaming. You guys will be watching our reactions as we watch the film. We're very excited. We'll be doing the drinking games, all kinds of fun things. If you want to watch that, go to patreon.com slash teamactionafterdark. Just a one-time pledge. We're trying this out. Uh, we're trying to run the whole thing ourselves uh, because, obviously, this is a professional workspace. Yes, and getting and wasted here is not something here. that we really want to do. Uh, the other way you can find that is patreon.com slash teamaction. You can, if you're a donator of $10 or more, you will get a code sent to you for free. It'll be the link. If you are below $10, then you can either up it or you can just wait till we put it up probably in a couple weeks or maybe even yeah. a month. We'll, we'll make it available to the public so you can watch us be buffoons. But guys, we are so excited to encourage day drinking for work. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. And we'll be doing it in a totally safe, Uber-centric environment, guys. Yes. So don't you worry. Um, all right, guys, that's going to wrap us up. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Andrew, where can the folks find you? Guys, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. And you guys can also find Find me now esports casting for Clash Royale. It's a really exciting gig that I just got. Uh, my first episodes went up yesterday. Yeah. I'm doing it for EU and the NA. I'm a huge fan of the game. I'm super nerd about it. Um, and I am actually honored to be a part of their team. Uh, there was thousands of people that tried out. So, um, yeah, check it out. I would love for you guys to join me on one of those streams. Sweet. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye. tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Super Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. Here's a question to those of the hosts only.